I thank you tonight for the moment we have, God, to be here in this place where we can come, Lord, and worship. We can celebrate your goodness to us. We can rejoice together, Lord God, for all that you have done in us and through us. and How you've blessed us, O oh God, beyond anything we could even imagine. I thank you for your word tonight, God. I thank you for the word that you give to us. The word tonight is going to come from James chapter 4. The text is James 4, it's verse 7 and 8, and it's just a simple verse. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How simple can it be? You know, it doesn't have to be a complicated thing, does it? I think we human beings complicate things. We, we're the ones that make it so hard. We put all these requirements, all these things. Well, you've got to do it this way, or you've got to do it that way. And yet his word just simply says, James, and this is the thing, James wasn't talking to unbelievers in this. He was talking to believers. He was talking to the church. He was talking to those who were mature in the faith. James is not a book, you know, if you're one of those that are not very strong in the faith, James is a tough book to deal with because it's written for people who are walking with Jesus, who know the joyful sound, who understand. They know what it is. And yet James says to us, draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. See, the, the interesting thing to me when I read that is, is that it, the first act is me drawing to him. It says, I need him. And then by that, he will then draw to me. Amen. Oh, God. You can be seated. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you, he says. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I'm sure you have, those of you that are here, especially on Wednesday night, because we've been, for almost a year now, we've been in, on Wednesday evenings, we've been in prayer on Wednesday night. But to truly understand the purpose of intercession. Sister Marlene, Sunday evening, shared what I feel like were such wonderful words about keys to intercession. And I, I just was so touched by, by those ten things that she said. She said, number one, you have, to be, you have to come into a relationship with God. Two, come in love. Three, come in faith. Come in obedience. Pray with proper authority. Pray for holiness. Pray for the heart. Pray for truth. Pray for right agreement. Pray with tangible evidence. And most of us probably caught it. I know I did because it really, it was really, uh, I, I believe it was uh, Holy Spirit driven when she shared that 
when it comes to the ministry, people being called into ministry or going into ministry, that one pastor, he said that before anyone can do any ministry in his church, the first place he places them is in prayer, the prayer meeting, in the prayer group. And if they can survive the prayer group and become consistent in prayer, then they will probably do well in the ministry. But if they don't do well in the prayer, what makes you think they're going to do good in the ministry? Amen. This is something that I think that, you know, we we as, as believers, especially for those of us that have been around for a while, you know, we, we recognize the need and the necessity of prayer. We know how important it is. And yet so many in the church who want to be involved, want to do things, want to get involved, they never, you never see them in prayer meetings. <laughs> and that, that's a concern for a pastor. Amen. They, they, they're never, they, they never show up. Even I... Even when we were going through the, the, the first part of, of the, uh, where we were uh, shut down and we couldn't meet in person, uh, I always was amazed at how many people just wouldn't engage even after we taught them how to do it and went through the process of, uh, of going through and trying to make it as simple as possible and how many people just didn't engage or they would engage for a moment and then they wouldn't engage anymore. And then they never showed back up again. And they went the entire year through the entire year of COVID and never bothered to show up for one prayer meeting. Not one. There are people like that. And it's usually the same people that are like that are usually the ones that are wanting to do things. They want God to do things. They want God to move, all these things. And yet, the Bible's so clear, isn't it? Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. A.W. Tozer wrote this, he said, before a sinful man can think a right thought of God, there must have been a work of enlightenment done within him. Something had to turn on for him to even decide he needs God. You know, people cannot come to God. The Bible tells us one can't even come to God unless the Father draws him. So it takes the drawing of the Father. And, and John 6, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is one of the most important reasons why that God calls us to pray for lost people. Amen. We pray for lost people because unless the Spirit draws them, they can't come to you. You don't come to God on your own. You know, people have this idea, well, I'll, I'll turn to God when I, when I feel like it, when I'm ready. No, you won't. Because you never get ready. Because as long as you're in the world, the world will entice you and keep you drawn into the world. But what happens when intercessors and people of prayer begin to pray for that person what begins to take place when all of a sudden the holy spirit begins to interrupt 
their day-to-day routine. Things begin to happen. See, here's the thing. Don't expect, don't expect your loved ones that are lost to come to Christ if you don't pray for them. Amen. And don't expect somebody else to pray for them the way you'd pray for them. Because they won't pray for them that way. Amen. Because nobody cares about your loved ones like you do. No one really feels the way you feel about them. And that could be good or bad. Amen. Amen. Because sometimes, you know, we've got, we've got a few Jesse Jameses in our families. Right? We've got a few of those, you know, we've got a few of those people. And, and we pray all the more for them. Right? Amen. I was, uh, I was taken back this week. I received a phone call from my brother and his 17-year-old daughter. Uh, he called me and said, Dale, uh, Michaela overdosed on drugs. And uh, she's, thank God she's in the hospital. And she's going to recover from that. But she's 17. And I told him, I said, I want you to understand something. One of the prayers that I have prayed for my family, my nieces and my nephews, my brothers, God, I don't know what it will take for them to be awakened. I don't know what it will take for them to finally turn. But God, I'm prepared for whatever you need to do. Because I don't want them lost I don't want to see them squandering their life away in sin, finding themselves at the end of their life, looking back and saying, oh, I wish I would have. No, I don't want that. But I know this, I know that when I pray for them, and I mean what I'm praying, I'm not saying it just to say it. I'm not declaring it just to declare it. It's not just a form of words that come out of my mouth it comes from my heart god i don't care what it takes but whatever it takes get them to a place to where they cry out to you because if they don't cry out to you there's no hope for them amen and i can't be there i can't watch oh i'm i'm I'm, they live in florida i live in indiana i can't just get up and leave every day and go down and check on them and find out but i have said holy spirit you go where i cannot You move in places I can't move. You go where I cannot go. You arrest. You would think that she would have learned from the visibles that she's seen, the things in her her purview. Her uncle, who struggles with the same addiction. She had a brother that struggled with the same addiction. In fact, her brother was wrapped up with a young lady they had a child together that young lady was murdered and the guy that murdered her burned the house down and burned her in it to try to cover his tracks you would think by all of that that she would say there's no way that i would ever go that way here's the thing folks if we're not careful we could lose an entire generation. The Bible says we're just a generation away 
from godlessness. Look at our world, my goodness. Look at what we're dealing with. Look what we're confronted with on a daily basis right now. The things that we're dealing with. If there's ever been a time, and it should have been a long time ago, but my goodness gracious, if, we, if this doesn't wake us up, what will wake us up? Amen. What will it take for the church to awaken, to say, wait a minute, this is insanity. We've got to stop this. We've got to, we got to seek God. We've got to get back to the things that God has called us to be and to do the thing God's called us to do and to stand in the gap and make up the hedge for those who are lost. Amen. You know, God desires all men to be saved. There's no doubt about it. His word says that he's not willing that anyone perish. That's what John said. But all would come to repentance. They would come to this knowledge. Peter talked about it to 1 Timothy. He said, you know, this is the pursuit that you've come to the Lord. This pursuit should be seen all the time, but yet we see that it's not always the case, and that is why we are called as men and women who pray and who seek the Lord, who call on the name of the Lord, to say, God, do this, move here, standing in the gap, doing whatever it takes until. Amen. I wonder when the last time we prayed until. Amen. Until the power fell. Until the life was changed. Until we seen the, tr- the dramatic move of God. Until. A lot of times, our prayer times and the things that we do are done and, and I know that there are things that we have to navigate through at times, but understand this, there, there ought to be within our own hearts, all of our hearts, this continuous prayer that is prayed all the time. The Bible says we are not to cease to pray. Amen. I know people say, well, how do you not cease to pray? I really do believe that it is a heart of prayer. I believe our hearts ought to be in prayer. I believe that we ought to be, how can we, how can we walk through this world that we live in and not sense a burden for those around us that we see? Amen. You know, I know that Jesus, when he talked to his disciples in Matthew, you know what he said? He said, he said that the harvest is truly plentiful. So the harvest is not the issue. Amen? It's not, the, it's not an issue of the harvest. That's never been the issue. The issue is the laborers. Amen? That's the issue. The issue is, where are the laborers? Where are those that are going out into the fields that are ready for harvesting? That's the issue. Not the harvest. You know, he didn't say, Pray that we would have an abundant harvest. No, he said, pray for the laborers. There's a need for people to rise up and to say, you know what? We're going to put legs on our prayers. Amen? Amen. And we're going to go into the fields and we're going we're to love on people and we're going to show them Jesus and we're going to lift Jesus in front of them. We're going to talk about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Because you know what? In our world right now, nobody wants to hear about Jesus. But yet, you know what we're called to do? 
We're called to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send the laborers into the harvest field. And you know that, that when, when, when we finally wake up to this reality that this is our call. I watch these guys out there on Tuesday and, and I see them out there going out there on uh, ministering, excuse me, ministering to the uh, people as they drive through and get food. And, and uh, it just, it, it, it thrills my heart because I know that what they're doing in this act of kindness, they're not just doing an act of kindness, they're talking about the Lord. They're talking about what God can do. They're, they're sharing the Lord with people as they come through. And, and you know, sometimes we wonder, God, you know, is, 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 is this enough? Is, have we done enough? Let me tell you something. It's amazing what God does with seeds. I just, that, that to me is one of the most phenomenal things. When I think about one kernel of corn being planted into the ground, and that one kernel of corn, when it sprouts up and brings forth, on that one stalk, 12 to 15 ears of corn show up. Thousands upon thousands of other kernels of corn are on that one stalk from one seed. Think about that. It doesn't take a massive thing. A lot of times we think, well, you know, we've got to have, you know, this person come in and that person do this, and we've got to have that worshiper do this, or we've got to go here and do that. No, 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 no. You know what we need? We just need ordinary people sharing ordinary things, testifying of the ordinary thing that happened in your life, of talking about how God is and what God has done. Amen. Letting them know that the Lord Jesus Christ changed me and made me new, and he can do the same for you amen you see i believe that when we draw near to the lord you know so many believers and 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 don't don't misunderstand what i'm saying here but there is a there's a, a sense within church world right now that so many have a very shallow relationship with god and the relationship is is really it's just surface level. They know they love God. They know that they care about God. And I, they know God cares about them. They don't want to go to hell. They're not interested in that part. They want to go to heaven. So they know God. Most of what they know is on the surface. But you know what? There's something that I often wonder, why don't we go deeper? Why don't we desire to move deeper and, and move into a more consistent relationship with God? I wondered why. Why, don't, why do we hold back sometimes? Have you ever thought about that? You're in service. You're in a church service. Holy Spirit is moving. God is moving. You can see, you know He is, and He's tugging on us. And we just hold back. We hold back. Maybe it's fear. Maybe some people are, are, are driven by a fear. They don't want to be embarrassed or they don't want to uh, you know, put themselves in a position where people are watching them. Maybe they're, maybe they're shyer than others. I understand that. I know that there's certain amount of, of uh, emotional attachment to those kinds of things. But I also know this. I know that for some, it's not that. 
I think for th there are those out there that really what it is is that they really don't have a hunger for God. They don't really hunger. I thought about this thing about hunger. And I thought about what, what it means to be hungry. Have you ever been hungry? No, I mean, have you ever really been hungry? I mean, really hungry. Hungry to the point to where you haven't had a meal for a week. Or two weeks. Or three where you have no way of getting food. Have you ever been thirsty? You know, I got a bottle of water right here. When I take this drink, everybody wants a drink. Am I right? It's like, man, I wouldn't mind having some of that right now. So Marla pulls out hers. She gets her drink. We almost got her drink. Yeah. Because, there's, because we know, right? Because water satisfies the thirst. But have you ever been thirsty? I mean, really thirsty. Thirsty where you didn't know if you were going to get a drink. Thirsty to the point to where that your, your body craves it so much that it starts drawing off of its own nutrients and tries to survive. We've never been that thirsty, have we? I've never been. I've never been that hungry. I don't know what it's like to be that hungry. Oh, I've had hunger to the level that I know hunger. But have we ever really hungered? You know, I was, I was uh, reading something the other day, and, and, it, and it just, it, it really was, was profound to me when I was thinking about this idea of hunger and and the passion and, and the things that go on. And I, and I came across this quote by Martin Luther. Martin Luther said this. He stated, the greater God's gift, the less they are regarded. The greater God's gift, the less they are regarded. So what he's saying is this. A hungry man is more thankful for a morsel of bread than a rich man with his overflowing banquet table. A lonely woman in a nursing home will appreciate a visit from one person more than a popular woman with a party of many guests in her honor. And it's true. It's true. One of the things that we have in America and our nation, we have been inundated with blessing on top of blessing, on top of blessing, on top of blessing, on top of blessing. Amen. So much so that the biggest majority of things that we have in our lives are basically made to throw away. Amen. You know, they don't make cars like they used to make cars. There won't be, 100 years from now, if the Lord tarries, there won't be no 2021 hybrids sitting on the road. There won't be. They won't last. They barely last five years. 
We don't build things today to last. We don't. Why? Because we are a throwaway generation. We are a throwaway people. We get it. We don't like it. We trade it off, get something else. We don't like that. We'll get rid of that. We'll get something else. We're, that's why. And we can do that here, can't we? We can do that in America. We can do that in our nation. You can't do that everywhere, but you can do it here. And what, ha- what, what, what Martin Luther is trying to show us is this, is that the greater God blesses, the greater the gift of God, the less we regard those things, the less we appreciate what God is doing. Amen. I'll give you an example. God saves somebody. We talk about God saving people saying, oh, that's nice. Cool. Okay. But yet all of heaven is doing what? <laughs> it's rejoicing. All of heaven, we're just looking like, okay, what's the big deal? They got saved, man. Cool. They ain't going to hell. That's not it. And what we have to realize is that, that there is, there, it's kind of like, you remember, the, you remember the, the ten lepers that came to Jesus? You remember that? The Bible says that they came to Jesus, they asked him to heal them, heal, heal them right? Because they had leprosy. And the Lord, what did he do? What did he do? He, he healed them, didn't he? He healed them. He healed them. And they all turned to walk away. But then it says, but one turned back and came to Jesus and knelt down and thanked him. And he thanked him and said, I want to thank you. And Jesus' response was, where are the other nine that were with you? Now, I can't preach a sermon on what the nine were thinking or what they were doing. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't one of them. But I know this. It really does paint a real clear picture of what, can you imagine? You had leprosy. You couldn't even go into the city. You couldn't buy or sell. You, your family had to put you out into a colony somewhere where you live among other lepers. You're living there. That's your life. There is no hope for you. There's no turning back. It's over for you. You're, it's a death sentence. And the man Jesus comes and he, at his word, heals them. And nine of them just walk away. Never say thank you, never say anything. And one, only one, 10%, 10%, think of that. Only 10% of the crowd thank Jesus. And this is exactly what I think Martin Luther was trying to to speak to us about this when he said that, when he made that phrase, and it's what Jesus was trying to show us, that you need to understand the blessing you have and not forget it. Don't forget the blessing. Don't forget from the rock from which you were hewn and the, the pit from which you were dug. Don't forget that the only reason you're breathing right now is because God holds your breath in his hand it's only because of god it's only his blessing on us we ought to every day be thankful to the lord for all that he has done all that he provides for us and giving that knowing that and understanding that we ought to tell everybody we know how wonderful the lord is amen and yet the truth of the matter is and i'm just as guilty at times We'll go days never really talking to anybody about it. Never even saying anything. Never even, 
You know, you just get involved, you do your thing, you go through stuff, you get in life, and you just kind of do life. And sometimes when you're doing life, all this stuff, and we don't realize the car I'm driving is a blessing of the Lord. The house I'm living in is a blessing of God. The job I've got is a blessing from the Lord. The children I'm raising are the blessing of God. My wife is a blessing from the Lord. My health is a blessing from the Lord. Amen. Everything we have is, is from Him. And I tell you what, when we understand that and we know that, and we need to understand that when we draw into Him, this is my, this, this is the thing, and I know I'm, I don't want us to be indifferent toward the things that God is doing. Amen. I don't want us to to judge matters before they need to be judged. I don't want us to look at things through jaded lenses. I want us to be able to sit down at the table of the Lord with a clear conscience and a clear heart and know that we have done all that we were supposed to do. I want to be what Paul said. I want to, I want to have that, that level of drive and passion in my heart that what Paul declared when he said, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the course. There's nothing left for me to do. I've done everything I'm supposed to. Can you imagine? I don't want to come to the end of my life and look back and say, man, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have spoke about this more. I wish I would have said that more. I wish I would have testified about that more. I don't, want, I don't want that in my life. I don't, I, I don't, I, that's me. I don't want that. I want, I want to be able to say it with the, the same joy that, that, that Paul shared it in that Mamertine prison, in that dark place where he was at. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my race. Death, there's no fear in that. I don't fear death. And I honestly, I, I'm, I'm standing here tonight and I've said this and I say this in, in times and I know people say, oh, pastor, I, I don't think you, you really know what you're talking about. Oh, no, I do, I do. I do not fear death. Death is not, I'm not afraid of death. I'm not. I'm not afraid of that. That's not my, that, but I, what I, I think the thing in most people, when they talk about fear of death, much of the fear of death is they're unsure of where their outcome is going to be. And they're unsure about those kinds of things, the eternal things. And they're unsure about whether or not they really, did they, did they in their minds, did I make it? Did I do enough? I'm glad I don't have to worry about doing enough. Amen. I'm glad that that's not a part of the equation with, with, with the Lord. But at the same time, I have to have that assurance in my own heart. I have to know this. I have to know that, you know what? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I have to say that with, with, pure, with pure confidence, with a pure heart, and know it without doubt that, you know what, when my time comes, I'm not going to sit there and fret over it. I'm going to be thankful because I know that I'm going to move from this life to the next. It doesn't mean I'm not going to miss my family or my children or my grandchildren. I don't know when the Lord will call me home. I have no idea. I don't know what my... I, don't, my, I, I, I did a thing uh, uh, back a couple years ago. You actually can go on the Internet... And there's a death clock. I don't know if you know this or not. But there's a death clock on, on, the, on the internet. 
and you can type in your, your, your date of birth, and you answer a couple of questions, and they'll give you a date of your death. They'll tell you when you're going to die. They'll tell you, not, don't, don't ask me how they do it, I don't know, but it's an algorithm they have, they put it in there, and they, they tell you, I did it, and it says that I'm going to die somewhere around October 18th in uh, 2000, and I think it was like 56 or something like that. Cool, i got a few years left. I'm all right. But I know that 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 doesn't mean anything to me. That doesn't mean nothing. Because I know know who holds me in my hand. I know know whose hand I hold. And I know where I'm going, and I know those things because I know. But I want to be able to say in my life, I want my life to be passionate. I want it to be driven by the things of the Lord. And I want my soul to be well. Amen? Amen? And part of that is knowing that I've done what Paul said, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course. And I know that there are, there are hindrances to those things. And the enemy loves to try to hinder us and move us away from those things. I know that when you look at the Word of God, you realize that one of the things that he tries to to rob you of the passion of God by making you passionate about other things. And so he will turn you towards material wealth, material things, and trying to get you to think that that will satisfy your soul. And if you look at our world, and this is many people you talk to, many of them, they're just content with the life they live. You know, if you, if you ask somebody most of the time are you unhappy with your life most of the people will say no i, I, I like my life I, I enjoy my life i'm having a good life they like where they are so the idea of well if you come to jesus you'll have a you'll have a good life they're looking at you like i don't need jesus to have a good life i got a good life right now that's not what i need jesus for see and, and that's, that's why, why. Because the enemy has already, already satisfied their passions and allowed them the things of this world, and the indulgences of this world. And, and the reason for that is, is because he knows that as long as he can get you tied up in the world and the wealth and the material of the world and the things of the world, that you'll keep your sights off of the things of God. But what changes all that? What changes all that about the people that you know? I'll tell you what it is. It is when you and I, as intercessors and prayer warriors, begin to passionately pray for God to change your life. Amen. When all of a sudden you begin to look at things and you say, you know what? I believe God can change them. That's the remedy. And it's interesting because, in here, and again, and, I, and I'm going to close on this, on this note, when you, read, when you read Revelation and you read the third chapter, and he says in, in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. I want you to understand something. He's not addressing unsaved people there. That is not the unsaved he's talking to. He's not talking to unbelievers. 
I know we use that scripture verse a lot of times to speak to the unbeliever, but the truth is that's not who he's talking to. If you look at it, you'll notice he is the one who says this to the church. He's talking to the church. The church that is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. The church that he said, I'm counseling you to buy from me the gold refined in the fire that you can be rich, to have white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness would not be revealed, and your eyes anointed with an eye salve that you could see. Those are the ones. He's saying, behold, I stand at the door. There's many, listen, there's many, many who sit in the church, many who sit in the church who are hearing the knock of the Lord. I want to come in, but they don't open the door. And that is why it becomes so important for you and me to say, God, you know what? You have placed me where I am. You have called me to do this. And I'm going to draw into you. I've opened the door. And I've said, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you to come into my home. I want you to, I want you to sit down. I want to sit with you. I want to die. If you want to know what that, what that looks like, if you want to know what that looks like, go to the book of Solomon and read Solomon. Because when you read the book of Solomon, you see what Jesus was talking about right here. Where they just come in and it's a time of sitting down with the Lord. There's no hurry. You sit with him, he sits with you. He communes with you and you commune with him. That's what he's asking of us. That's what he's asking of us intercessors. And that's why an intercessor when it comes to the hearts of lost people, it becomes so important. Because the only way, the only way they're going to hear is because we pray, God, you draw them. You speak to them. You knock at the door. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to do something with me tonight. In these, just these closing moments, we're, we're going to close out of here. But I'm going to ask you, if you will, just for this, just for this moment, just, just let, the, let the Holy Spirit just kind of invade your heart for just this, just this moment as I'm praying. And then I'm going to ask you to just to, to say, I'm going, to, I'm going to commit that during the rest of this week, this week, I'm going to commit at least five minutes a day. Now, that's not a lot. Five minutes is not much praying for lost people that I know. You might pray longer, but at least five minutes. Will you just say, I'm going to pray five minutes for lost people. That's all. So Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the privilege we've had to come to worship together. 
I know this is a little different than what we're used to, and I know, God, that it kind of takes us out of our normal routine. But, Lord, I also know how important it is, God, for us to, to hear the Word to, to, and to, to worship You, but also, God, to let the Holy Spirit speak into our hearts. And so, God, I pray that as we begin to depart from this place tonight, God, that we commit our hearts, Lord, that over the next, over this, the remainder of this week, that we are going to dedicate time, Lord, to pray for lost people that we know. Sons and daughters, husbands, wives, friends, neighbors, co-workers, people, Lord God, that they would feel the spiritual hunger in their own heart. That God, that they would that their hearts would be arrested. You will speak to them and draw them. Then, Lord, if that door opens for us, then we will go in there and we will speak words of life. We will testify of your goodness. Lord God, we will share it, Lord, wherever we are with whomever we're with. Lord God, we will not fail to praise you and thank you for the blessings of life. Because, Lord God, when people can hear that the Lord is good, they taste that. And Lord, it changes. It's a flavor, Lord God, they don't get in the world. But Lord, they will, they will, they will receive it from people that pray for them. They'll taste and see, and they'll know it's good. It'll be like honey, Lord, to their lips. It'll, it'll change God. It'll transform them into what you desire them to be that is our prayer that is our desire and god that is our commitment in our own hearts and i thank you for that tonight god and i give you the praise for it in jesus name amen 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 god bless you i am uh brother jimmy uh told me the other day and i I thought it was such a neat thing, and I hope that we can, we'll do this. Brother Jimmy, you said you wanted to put a banner up outside as we're going outside. I'll, we'll get the banner. You tell, what did you say it was, you wanted to say? Welcome. Entering into the mission field. Yep, at the end of the drive as we go out. You're entering, because this isn't the mission field. The mission field's outside behind us. Amen. 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 I, we got to do that. We got to do that. Amen. I thought, man, yeah, that's, that's, there's one of those that sometimes like that when it happens, just, you just know that's it. Amen. Amen. So we'll, we'll make sure it gets done. It's going to get done. One way or another, it's going to get done. <laughs> all right. God bless you all. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. We have a great service planned. We're going to be ordaining our elders. We have three new elders that we're going to be ordaining this coming Sunday. So come and be a part of that. We'd love to have you there, okay? God bless.